I have no idea where my mom is. Um, she has completely cut herself off from me, obviously, like her friends that she's known for like 20 years, her mom, um, her family. So yeah, you know, that obviously like really changed my life because I growing up was super close with my mom. Like she was literally like my best friend. Um, and so you know, reflecting on that during COVID where you're not so distracted by going out or just like being on the go, 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 you're kind of just like alone in your thoughts really just made me want to do some good. Like if I can't help my mom, I want to be able to at least help one other person. Welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today, I'm here with Yo-Yo Burstein, founder of Needs for Beads, this amazing organization focused on destigmatizing mental health and raising money for Mental Health America. Yo-Yo, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you really? Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here and I've been looking forward to this. I am doing well. Yeah. Well, for now, all things considered. It's a loaded question when someone asks you, and I love your answer. Right now, I'm well. I had to pause for a second because I'm so used to saying like, oh, yeah, I'm doing great or like things are going well. And I feel like we should normalize the fact that, you know, it's okay. Like things are okay. Exactly. Something I always say is that I hate when we label the day as good or bad instead of letting it coexist, that there's good in a day and there's bad in a day. That's the yin and yang. Yeah. It's going to happen. And if we expect to label it, we tend to get let down. Yeah. No, that's so true. I feel like everything nowadays is just so black and white and people don't really consider that, you know, there can be gray areas or it can be black at times or white at times. So yeah, totally. Exactly. So now let's talk about needs for beads. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and what inspired you to start it? Yeah. So I started it about actually, yeah, about a year ago now. Wow. Time flies. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so I started about a year ago. I was like, we all were kind of stuck in COVID kind of honestly bored at home and I forget what it was, but I just had the idea to like do something related to arts and crafts that didn't involve, you know, just staring at a computer screen or watching TV, just like diving into my artsy side, if you will. And so I ordered beads and I just started making bracelets and I thought they were really pretty. And I sent some to my friends, some to my family, and they all really loved them and thought they were like really cute. And so I thought it would be cool, you know, make a little money, start selling them. And then I was like, you know, it'd be cool to like do some good with this. And so I decided to donate all the proceeds to Mental Health America. Um, Mental health has been extremely important to me, and I'm sure this will be your next question. Um, But so I chose Mental Health America because their whole philosophy is finding symptoms prior to stage four. And so, you know, like cancer or a physical Um, health issue. You don't want to wait until the symptoms are there and are already ruining your life. You want to treat mental health as early as possible. 
And so that really resonated with me based on my own experience with mental health. And so, yeah, that's kind of how Needs for Beads came about. I absolutely love that. Taking a time of quarantine where so many of us just kind of lost ourselves. I think a lot of people just lost themselves watching TV all day and not knowing what to do. A lot of jobs had been laid off. A lot of people just felt so alone for the first time. They were actually alone with their thoughts and their feelings. And to use that time to start kind of like a small arts and crafts project that turned into something that's raising money for Mental Health America. So how much have you raised so far? I'm a little under $7,000, which is super exciting. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's been an awesome journey. I honestly, it's just fun for me. It's fun to see, you know, I have a page, I have pre-made ones that people can order. I also have like a DIY, so design it yourself option if you have like a certain color or word or pattern. And it's super fun just to see like what people come up with that I wouldn't even think about. And then I make them and I'm like, I want one. (laughs) I love that so much. And I love how Mental Health America's philosophy really resonated with you. We tend to be so reactive when it comes to mental health care. We are so reactive, reactive. We wait until someone has like a gun to their head to sit there and be like, you need help and I'm here for you. Yeah. And it's terrible. We need to be preventative. We need to make it so that going to therapy is okay. That resources are available to everyone. Yeah. And that information is available, that conversations are happening. And I'm just really proud and amazed to see how much money you've raised for such an incredible organization. Thank you so much. That's so sweet of you. Of course. So now let's talk more about how mental health has played an important role and why you chose to donate to a mental health organization. Yeah. So I'm going to just lay it out on the table. I'm a little bit nervous right now because I feel like. I've kind of given like, you kind of know the gist of it, but I feel like for one of the first times, I'm really like ready to kind of lay it out there. Um, But for those of you that don't know, my mom was actually diagnosed with depression and bipolar about two years ago now. And she's always been this amazing, like incredible, strong woman that just like perseveres through life, like any challenges she'll find a solution like so level-minded just like an all-star and when you know the symptoms kind of emerged you know it was super concerning because you know I witnessed my mom my entire life you know like acknowledging situations that like maybe were unpleasant or challenges or just like not so great stuff and just like dealing with them head-on and so to see my mom go from like this person to someone that was like, oh, like the doctors have no idea what they're talking about. Like nothing's wrong. Like I'm fine. Just like, I don't need help. Like I don't want help was just so shocking. And so I tried to get her help. Um, It completely backfired. I, to this day, which not a lot of people know, but now I guess they will. I have no idea where my mom is. Um, she has completely cut herself off from me, obviously, like her friends that she's known for like 20 years, her mom, um, her family. So yeah, you know, that obviously like really 
changed my life because I growing up was super close with my mom like she was literally like my best friend um and so you know reflecting on that during COVID where you're not so distracted by going out or just like being on the go 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 you're kind of just like alone in your thoughts really just made me want to do some good like if I can't help my mom I want to be able to at least help one other person, whether that be someone feeling more comfortable talking about their own mental health or opening a, um, I'm trying to think of the word, <laughs> opening like a platform, I guess, for people to share their stories. Um, yeah. So that's kind of like how it all started. First of all, I am so sorry that you lost that close relationship with your mom. I know how hard it is to be so close to a family member and to love them so much and want to help them and support them for them to not want to get the help that they need for not be able to recognize that they need help and to ultimately lose them as part of your life. So my heart really goes out to you, but I really love how you said that if you couldn't help your mom, maybe you could help someone else. That is a beautiful pain to purpose story. I love a pain to purpose story because it shows that the world has knocked you down in a situation where so many people would feel defeated. They'd give up and just be like, well, I quit. I can't do it. You chose to take that trauma and that pain and use it to do something good, to make a difference. $7,000 goes a very long way. Every yeah. donation counts and you are constantly donating and helping an amazing organization make a difference, destigmatize mental health and make like early detection possible. You are absolutely incredible. I hope you know that. Thank you so much. That's so sweet of you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been, it's been great. I mean, obviously it's not great what happened and I wish it hadn't like to this day, but you know, I unfortunately can't control what other people do or what happens to other people. I can only control my actions, um, which is a hard pill to swallow too, right? Cause like you said, you always want to help your loved ones. You want to be there for your friends. You want to guide them, whatever the case may be. But I'm just happy that, you know, I've been able to turn this bad experience into something positive like you said that is absolutely incredible so now you started an IGTV TV live series called the stigmatized mental health and you've created amazing conversations with amazing guests if I say so myself <laughs> about mental health about what they're going through about organizations nonprofits, conversations about everything and I think it's so beautiful because we need to be sharing these authentic and vulnerable conversations we need to start opening up and feeling normal about talking about mental health. It feels so weird and unexpected when people talk about mental health. And it really shouldn't because it's not weird or unexpected when someone starts talking about their physical health. So why did you feel it was so important to start these conversations and create a platform for them? Yeah, you know, I was talking, actually, I did a podcast with my old roommate and she's not old. She's just my roommate that I... <laughs> just to clarify, <laughs> it's been a long day. Um, and, you know, she was asking me, obviously, about needs for beads. And so I was 
telling her and I said, you know, beforehand, I'm like, I'm not opening up. Like I will talk about deeds for beads, but I'm not telling you about my experience. Like no way. And so we were on her podcast and she runs it with her friend and her cousin and her cousin started talking about like her experience with mental health. And I was just like, wow, like that is so inspiring that like you feel comfortable talking about it. And then all of a sudden her friends started opening up and then my friend Alex started opening up and I, I don't know, there was just like something about it. Like, wow, it's just so inspiring to see people like feel comfortable sharing their story. And I hate the fact that I'm saying it's inspiring because I don't think it's inspiring. Like if you're talking about like growing grocery shopping, like mental health shouldn't be like, you know, an inspiration. It's just something people go through. And I think it's important that we have these conversations in order to normalize it, to get one step closer to destigmatizing it. And so I started this Instagram live really as a platform for people to open up and share their stories in the hopes that, you know, if one person hears one person sharing their story, maybe they'll feel comfortable. I mean, not necessarily opening up on Instagram live, but maybe they'll feel comfortable talking to a friend or talking to a parent or talking to whoever. And that I'm sure would help with their mental health as well. Okay, so who was your favorite guest and why was it me? I'm just kidding, kind of. But I love how you talked about the chain reaction of opening up. Yeah. That chain reaction, because as soon as one person does it and you see that it's not so scary and that maybe I'm not alone in this and their story helped me. So maybe my story can help someone else. That is such a beautiful thing. And like you said, it shouldn't be so inspiring because it should be normal. Yeah. But right now we're at a point where it is so inspiring to hear these conversations, to see them. And you are inspiring so many people by hosting these conversations because that stigma is blocking so many people from learning about it, from being educated about it, from the awareness in general, and from reaching out for help. Yeah, no, it's so true. I mean, I think it's just so important to talk about. And like you said, and like I've been saying, it really shouldn't be like this big thing, this big cloud that hangs over us. It should be something normal that's discussed, something where you feel comfortable talking to someone like you would, again, going back to the physical health issue, talking about someone or talking to someone about, I don't know, your blood type or a health issue or something. Yeah, exactly. And there's that whole level where physical and mental health overlap. And when we're not talking about our mental health, we kind of miss out on a lot of physical symptoms because your mental health may kind of materialize as physical symptoms, but physical symptoms can also be causing mental health. So when you're in chronic pain, there's a good chance that your mental health is going to be on the decline. When you are trying to advocate for yourself as a doctor and no one's understanding or believing you, your mental health is going to decline. When your vitamin levels or hormone levels are off, your um, mental health is going to decline. But if we're not talking about it the way we're talking about physical health, it can make it so hard to get the right answers and the right treatment options. And that's why this conversation is so much more important than people realize. By being able to recognize that my mental health right now is not okay. Here's when it started. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm going through. Recognizing that within yourself can help you advocate for yourself in so many ways. 
Yeah, no, that's so true. And that's such a good point. You know, I feel like with mental health, there are symptoms that you don't even really think about, or you don't really even notice. And so the more we talk about it, the more aware you're going to become. Like, for example, I'll use myself as an example. I filled out a questionnaire um, that my therapist asked to fill out. And it was, you know, asking me questions like, do you feel like you've been eating more? Do you feel like you've been sleeping more? Like, how often are you tired? And I was reading these questions and I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. And that is so true that we don't realize how our physical health and other symptoms are related to our mental health, like sleeping. Changes in sleep patterns are so important. And oftentimes we write it off as laziness and then we're disappointed in ourselves because we're being lazy and then we're angry at ourselves and then it pushes our mental health to decline more. And we think it's all because we're lazy when in fact our mental health is on the decline. We need some kind of support, whether it's a coping mechanism, a resource, therapy, medication, vitamin, supplements, anything. There might be something that we need. And we don't realize that. So we never get that hope that we deserve. And we kind of just start hating ourselves. It's like a whole cycle. It just kind of repeats over and over again. And it's hard to get off if you don't know what the symptoms are or how to be aware. And I'm really a firm believer in why mental health is treated so reactively instead of proactively is because of the stigma, because that there aren't enough conversations because without these conversations, there's a lack of awareness and education. We're not talking about the important things. When we start talking about mental health, we hear people talking about, I live with anxiety. I live with depression. Okay. What does that mean? Tell me what that means and tell me what you've been doing for it. Because maybe everything I've tried isn't working for me. And I need to know what other people are doing because maybe that's something I can try and see. If we're not talking about what led to this, these feelings of anxiety? What led to these feelings of depression? What are other mental health disorders out there? How are yeah. people living and coping with them? Because for me right now, it might feel impossible. It might feel like I'm the only one in this. I'm never going to get through it. And to hear someone on the other side is so important and makes us want to reach out for treatment and want to advocate for ourselves. Because by hearing these conversations, we learn more about questions to ask what to look out for, what symptoms are happening to us and what they may feel like and how they may express themselves. And more importantly, what resources and treatment options are available. And when you have that information, it's a lot easier to go to a doctor, go to a professional and advocate for yourself and advocate for what you're feeling, what you're going through and what you need. No, that's so true. And I think also it's important that, you know, we tend to make assumptions just by looking at someone. And so kind of two-part in response to what you just said, realizing that everyone's different. Um, So don't assume, you know, oh, this person has depression, so they have X, Y, Z, and therefore they're A, B, C, you know? Just because, you know, you have that label doesn't mean, like, you necessarily fit in a box. And I think it's important to realize, like, the more you hear, um, the more you realize, like, everyone's experiences are different. And you also don't necessarily see mental health issues. So for example, another thing that I enjoy about my Instagram live and also your lives and all the lives that discuss mental health is I always look, you know, I Instagram stalk the people and a lot of times, you know, they don't look 
like they have depression. They don't look like they have anxiety. They have like, you know, social media, I guess what I'm trying to say is social media always shows like the best side of you, the side that you want people to see. And so as a result, oftentimes you don't see that, you know, this person might actually be facing whatever issue and therefore it's important to talk about as well. Exactly. We tend to see people's lives through the lens of social media. And that's one tenth of the picture. When you're looking at a picture, when you're looking at a reel, when you're looking at a post, when you're looking at a video, a lot more goes into it than we see. And just like for us, when it may take us hours to come up with the right content, it might take us hours for editing. It might take us hours of taking pictures to find the right picture with the right lighting and the right angle. I'm definitely that person. <laughs> and when I see other people do it, when I see other people do it, I feel so, how do they do it so easy and how effortlessly and something's wrong with me. And sometimes I have to take a step back and see this is one tenth of the picture because just like with my pictures, people might not see all the time that goes into and all the time to make all the content. I'm not seeing that for them either. And yeah. that's okay. And the fact that you don't see what people are struggling with if they don't post it. And even when someone opens up so much about everything, there's still sides of them you may not get to see. Yeah. So we can't be judging people by what their appearance is on social media or even in real life with your friends, we're so quick to assume that everyone's okay all the time. But one in five live with mental illness in the U.S. adults. One in five adults live with mental illness in the U.S. If you have wow. a friend group of five, there's a good chance that one of you is living with a mental illness. Check yeah. in on your friends and don't just assume. Yeah, no, it's so important. I'm honestly surprised it's not more than one in five. I am too. I think it's a lack of reporting because like we said, with the stigma, so many people don't reach out for help. And without that diagnosis, it doesn't go into the statistics and the data. Yeah, no, that's a good point. A lot of people to this day just don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so frustrating when you see how high the suicide rate is, right? It's the second leading cause of death from age 10 to 24. How have we allowed that to happen? How has no one stood up and said, this is not okay. Let's do something. Let's put mental health education in the school systems. Let's provide resources and coping mechanisms and tools kids can use at a young age before life becomes overwhelmingly stressful. That's so interesting that you say that because I feel like every time, you know, on the news or whatever, if I hear of someone committing suicide, it's like, why didn't they tell anyone? Like, why didn't they open up? But then, you know, if that person opens up and says, you know, I'm struggling with whatever the case may be, it's like, well, suck it up or, you know, just like, forget about it. Like, you're fine. It could be worse. So you can't have it like that. Yeah, exactly. And you're attention seeking and you're dramatic and you're faking it. And there's all these negative things we say to people who are struggling. But at a young age, when kids start crying, we tell them build a bridge to get over it. Don't act like a girl. You're being a baby. Grow up. And we're teaching them to suppress all these emotions. And we're not giving them any tools or resources that they need. We're not teaching them about mental health and about wellness and mental wellness and how they all correspond. 
we're just expecting them to figure it out. No wonder the suicide rate is so high. There's not a doubt in my mind that our suicide rate is so high starting at a young age because of the stigma, because of the lack of awareness and the lack of education. We're expecting people to just figure it out. And if no one tells you how to deal with it, how are you supposed to figure it out? I was going to say, how are you supposed to figure it out if you don't know like even what there is to figure out, you know, because I feel like at a young age, like you don't know what mental health is. Like you don't know why you're struggling. All you know is, you know, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling mad. I'm feeling anxious, whatever. But if you don't talk about it, you don't know what the root causes. And if you don't know what the root causes, you can't solve it. Exactly. And I love what you, how you brought up the root cause, because I think the stigma has led to a idea of based on the DSM-5, I want to say, where we put people in a box, like you said, these symptoms check off into this box. This is the standard protocol and that's it. So if it's this medication and the medication doesn't work and you go through 10 rounds of medication Mm -hmm. and it's still not working, chances are there are other things at play, i.e. underlining trauma. You need to get to the root cause of the trauma if trauma exists. If not, finding the right chemical balance through medications and through supplements, getting your level levels checked, your vitamins, your hormones, every panel in the book that may correspond with how you're feeling. Not every panel in the book, but the one that yeah. may correspond. Want to be clear about that. Don't go spend <laughs> thousands of dollars on tests. You don't need to. But um, someone else who was recently on my series, Dr. Nicole Kane has this amazing algorithm that can actually help people check like, oh, this may be my thyroid. This might be my hormone levels and know what kind of test to run. So I really recommend checking that out, guys. Well, that's but, awesome. Right? But the moral of the story is, because it went on a tangent, that there may be underlining causes. It's not just this standard protocol. We need to adapt away from that. We need to stop assuming that someone just fits into a box and that's it. And then when that standard protocol doesn't work, oh, well, you're on your own. What about comorbidity where multiple mental illnesses live at the same time? Yeah. I also think there's like this scariness kind of to getting that label, you know, to being labeled as someone who's depressed or has, or is bipolar, has anxiety. And I wonder sometimes if it would be helpful to, if we were to remove those labels or I don't know if it's feasible, like in terms of providing medication or providing help, like with insurance and otherwise to remove the labels, but to somehow adjust them so that they don't seem as scary. Because someone made a point, you know, I was talking to someone on my Instagram live, she had schizophrenia and I asked her, I said, well, you know, when you told your friends that you had schizophrenia, like how did they react? And she made this amazing point. She was like, well, I'm still the same person. Like, just because I have schizophrenia doesn't mean all of a sudden I've changed. And I thought that was really interesting because I never thought about it that way. And I'm sure other people haven't either. You know, you're the same person with or without depression. It's just like part of who you are and nothing's going to change all of a sudden. So I also think that's something really interesting to think about. That is an amazing point. And those labels, like you said, can be so terrifying. And what will people think of me? I remember when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, the most important thing I did was I will never say I am bipolar. 
I will never say that I have bipolar disorder. I will say I live with bipolar disorder because right now I am living with it. That doesn't mean that that defines me. That doesn't have to be a label for me. It's something that I'm living with, just like someone may live with a heart condition or someone may live with cancer or kidney disease or something right now. It does not have to define who you are. You are not a disease or an illness or a condition or a symptom. You are a person who has many different facets and one of them may be some condition and that's okay. I love that you say that. I live with bipolar. That's an, yeah, people should start saying that because I, you know, like you said, you know, it doesn't define who you are. It's maybe like 1% of who you are. Exactly. That's an amazing outlook. I really like that. Thank you. And what I loved about it so much was when I started opening up to my friends about it, I mean, everyone's response was, no wonder. That makes so much sense. Like, you make sense now. <laughs> I was like, thanks. When I opened up to my friends and then they started talking to me about it, it was never your bipolar. If I do something that may remind them of what the stereotypical bipolar disorder looks like, they'd be mm-hmm. like, oh, that's the bipolar inside you showing but it's never, you are bipolar. It's never used against me as something that like, if you're fighting a label, they'll throw at me. And I feel that in part, it's because I have amazing friends and amazing support system, but also because I didn't label myself that way. And when we give ourselves a label, it's making it okay for other people to label us that way and to use it against us. So changing the narrative right from the start, I think is really important. Yeah, I agree. I love that. I think it's so important to realize that you're more than your mental illness or your mental health. I mean, and I agree. I, I'm like in shock right now that you say that. I love that. I'm going to start using that. Go ahead. It's so important that we stop with the labels because they're contributing to the stigma and not saying that depression or schizophrenia or bipolar, ADHD, or any of it doesn't exist. It's saying that it exists and it's something that's a piece of me, but it's not who I am. And changing that narrative is so important so that people feel comfortable going to get a diagnosis and going to get help after they get that diagnosis and recognizing that they're right. And that's okay. It's not a bad thing. It's actually something that I can learn to cope with and live with. Yeah. And again, you know, I'm just thinking about it still going back to the physical health. You don't say I am cancer. You say I have cancer or. That is so true with our physical health. We don't use it as a label and we need to treat physical health or mental health the same way we treat physical health and using the words and terminology the same way is so important and recognizing that both mental and physical health make up your whole wellness. It's not just one. Your overall wellness comes from everything inside you. And that is your mental health as well. And recognizing that your mental and physical health are connected. There is that mind-body connection where your gut health, where your gut health and your nervous system affects your mental health. And that is such an important, important point to remember that they all go together. So treat them all with the same level of respect and care that you would your physical health with your mental health. Yeah. And like you were saying earlier, you know, from an early age, why not go to a doctor and just talk about your mental health or check in on a yearly basis or every six months? 
like if it's ingrained from us from an early age we'll tend to do it through adulthood like for example like I go to the dentist twice a year you know it's ingrained in me twice a year you go to the dentist twice a year you check for your mental health exactly it should be honestly there should be an insurance like you can add on vision insurance you can add on dental insurance you should be able to add on mental health insurance and be able to get a counseling session it doesn't have to be with a psychiatrist it doesn't have to be for diagnosis it doesn't have to be for medication it could just be for resources like right now I'm going through a divorce I need some support or right now my parents are going through a divorce and I need some support support or I just lost a loved one or you know what? School is really hard and overwhelming. I don't know how to get enough sleep and have a social life and do well in school and do all these extracurricular activities. I need some help balancing and integrating my life. That's all normal things that we're not talking about. And we're not providing that support and resources that people need. And like you said, if it was just as normal as going to the dentist, that would be so important. Like um, when you go to the dentist twice a year, you're not necessarily going because you have cavities or because you need a filling, you're going because they can offer you support by cleaning your teeth and giving you the fluoride. Or just checking to see, again, checking to see. I mean, maybe you don't even notice that you have cavities. Exactly. Going back to seeing a psychologist, maybe you don't even realize that, you know, you're showing symptoms and you're just getting used to feeling tired and thinking, you know, now that it's COVID, oh yeah, of course I'm tired, you know. Of course, I'm never wanting to be social because of COVID, but underlying issues and, you know, I'm not an expert. How am I going to solve or even find those underlying issues without a professional? Exactly. Even if you are an expert or professional, it's okay to go see someone else too for support and resources. Even if you think you should know everything, when it comes to your own body and your own mental and physical health, of course you understand your own body and your own mind more than anybody, but sometimes it's hard to see. It's hard to separate yourself and hard to recognize and understand. So leaning on someone else for some support and some guidance is so, so important. No matter who you are, no matter how qualified you are to give yourself that diagnosis, reaching out to someone else for support is really, really important, especially someone who is able to support you. Yeah, no, I agree. And even within like a work environment, you know, we tend to feel so guilty taking sick days. I mean, I know for myself, like I take a sick day maybe once every six months and I have to be like on my deathbed. And it's like, just take a sick day. I mean, you know, everyone's sick. Everyone's gonna not feel great. And it should be the same with mental health. I mean, we all have days where we don't want to get out of bed, where we feel like we're going through something where, you know, why is it such like a taboo, you know, not to take the day off? Exactly. And I think that again, goes back to at a young age where you can't just take the day off of school because your mental health isn't okay right now, because we don't have accommodations for students who are struggling with their mental health and our higher education system. If they do your class based on attendance, part of your grade, and you miss a class and your attendance grade goes down 10%, you're not going to risk it for a mental health day because it's hard to get into a counselor that day to get that doctor's note so that it's okay. Yeah. We need to be making accommodations at a young age. So people know that that's okay. It's normal to take a mental health day. It's normal to get burnt out, to be overwhelmed. And there are things I can do when I take a day off 
to reset, rejuvenate, and come back more productive. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's so important. I mean, really any aspect, going to the doctor, starting it in school, with work, just like everywhere, we should really think about mental health and take that into consideration of how to improve life. Exactly. A lot of times we think that mental health has to be an impairment in your life or mental illness. I shouldn't use them interchangeably. Mental illness has to be an impairment in your life, but it doesn't. You can learn to live with it in a way that doesn't act as an impairment, in a way that helps you understand who you are, what you're experiencing, know your body, know your mind, and know how to help yourself. And that's where the power is in knowing how to help yourself. Yeah. And again, that's going back to what I was saying earlier. You know, people, if someone commits suicide, someone will say, well, why didn't they say anything? It's like going back to what we're talking about. There are no resources or you just push them away and say, suck it up. And so if we have that option to whether it be in school, professionally, wherever, to find resources and get help, there would be less suicide. Exactly. If people knew that it was okay and there were things to do and there were options, an option other than suicide, the world would be full of so many more people. Yeah. And it's just heartbreaking when someone feels like it's their only option. I've been there many times and I lost my uncle that way. And to know that if only those support and resources were available, then if I knew that I wasn't alone, that he knew he wasn't alone, that there were options and things could get better, life would have been so different. And that's why it's so important by knowing that you have options, that it doesn't have to be like this forever by people having conversations like you are on your IGTV live series, you're giving people hope from other people who've come out the other side to know that it can get better. It genuinely can get better. And it will, it will get better. I mean, we all have our rainy days. We all have, excuse my language, shitty freaking days. But at the end of it, there was Someone made a quote or there was a quote, I forget what it was, but it was basically saying, you know, you've survived 100% of your worst days. And I think that's really important to remember, you know, when you're feeling like you're at rock bottom, you've had terrible days before, but you've made it through. And so you can really get through anything. And as we destigmatize mental health as a society and have resources and people start to feel more open and comfortable having those conversations, it's only going to get easier to survive those terrible days. Exactly. I could not have said that any better myself. And as someone who has had a family member struggle with mental health, who has been wanting to help and provide that support and wasn't able to do it, what piece of advice would you recommend to someone else who may be in that same situation? Oh, that's a good question. I would say, you know, it's going to be really hard and you're going to want to do absolutely everything that you can to help that person and force them to get help. But at the end of the day, legally, if they're not a threat to themselves or not threatening to others, there's nothing you can do, like no matter how obvious it is that they need help. So I really think best thing you can do is just be there just listen just support them just let them know that 
they're in a safe space with you, that you're not judging them, that you love them no matter what, and just be there for them in the hopes that, you know, one day they'll realize on their own that they might need some help after all. That is amazing, amazing advice. You have been absolutely incredible, Yo-Yo. Jess, thank you so much for joining me today. If somebody wanted to contact you, reach out to you, visit your website, buy some bracelets, how can they connect with you? Yeah, so my website is needsforbeads.com. And then my Instagram is needs underscore four underscore F-O-R, not the number four, F-O-R underscore beads. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was an honor having you. Thank you so much for having me. It's always great speaking with you. And I also love the work that you're doing. It's so important that we keep this conversation going. And I hope that we change um, the world for the better and destigmatize mental health. So we're going to change it together. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah.